Welcome to Champagne Problems Podcast. I am your host, Robbie Shaw. Join us as we explore mental and emotional well-being, physical optimization, and the journey to discovering your highest self. Champagne Problems is brought to you in proud partnership with Bond Buzz, the alcohol-free social spirit. Bond Buzz is an award-winning, alcohol-free functional beverage company creating adult drinks that are health-forward, all-natural, and uncompromising. They're on a mission to create a future where feeling good and getting buzzed exist in absolute harmony and not at the expense of your health. Their bold concoctions offer focus and energy while calming the nervous system for a night on the town or a productive afternoon. Bond Buzz uses only natural ingredients and a hyperfunctional blend of nootropics, adaptogens, and functional mushrooms to amplify the sensory experience. If you're looking for a drink to help you cool off after work or a drink to stimulate your mind and body without the harmful, icky hangovers, drink Bond Buzz for good days only. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for hanging in there while we took a little break. What were we doing, you might ask? Well, we created that badass intro you just saw. We picked up a new sponsor, Bond Buzz, the alcohol-free social beverage, and we expanded our content a little further out into the wellness space. We have an insane lineup of guests and topics coming, so stick with us. Now, as for today, we will be staying true to the month of January when so many people will be going dry, and I'll be sitting down with Heather Lowe, founder of Ditched the Drink. Ditch the Drink is a wellness company dedicated to helping high-achieving professionals move away from alcohol and towards self-discovery and creating the life of their dreams. Heather is an award-winning and highly recognized life and recovery coach. Heather is crushing it, and not to mention saving lives. Let's talk to Heather. Heather Lowe, welcome to Champagne Problems. Thanks, Robbie. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, man, I couldn't be happier. I can't believe you made the trip. West Chicago? Yes. West Chicago to Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, and, you know, it's really good to be here because we had a bit of a bumpy landing oh, yes. oh, on yes. the way in. Oh, yes. Please do tell. Do tell. <laughs> I think we need to hear it again. Where we didn't actually land, we started taking off for a second time. So, anyways, I'm thrilled to actually be here sitting on this couch with you now oh. in one Peace. Nightmare among nightmares for me. Uh, the 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 fake the the pump fake landing. Oh my god, that just gives me the willies. Holy moly! All right. Um. So thank you again. I love that you traveled here to do this, to sit on the couch and 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 have a, a fantastic conversation with me. I hope to wow you with some food after this. I know it's hard coming from Chicago, but um, what do y'all do different? Y'all do different hot dogs, right? We do different hot dogs. Yeah. We do different pizza. Do different pizza. That's right. Yeah. We, we do. Uh, I do ketchup and mayo on my hot dog. Oh, I'm a fan of mayo, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna don't knock it. Don't knock I'm it. I'm not gonna knock you for that. And then pizza. I had Detroit pizza last night. Would that be a similar oh, style? Maybe. Yeah. Thick, Chicago's like crust. flipped, right? Chicago's got a really thick crust. Yeah. Deep dish. Deep dish. Got it. All right. All right. Cool. So. I like to start my interviews, my conversations with rapid fire questions. Um, nothing, to, the, these, these I made fun. Sometimes I like people to, to get squirmy, but uh, I'm, I'm not gonna make you squirm. <laughs> the only part of the conversation that makes me nervous is this part right here, <laughs> it's okay? the rapid fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what intimidates the hell out of you? Oh my, basically everything. I'm a very, <laughs> very nervous person. Are Every, you? Everything scares me, yeah. I'm totally afraid all the time, but authority, <laughs> major, major, like thinking I'm in trouble or did something wrong or somebody's mad at me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have anxiety and that kind of stuff? Um, of course I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that answer, but it, it, I mean, like, okay, well, 
we can dig into some of that later, but there's a difference between just being intimidated by certain things and then having crippling anxiety. Yeah, I'm not scared of you right now. Good, good. <laughs> Let's keep going then. All right, here we go. Second question. What's your favorite smell? Oh, <laughs> clean laundry, probably. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I like things to be really clean. That probably goes with anxious. You sure, know. <laughs> sure, there's a theme here. Yeah, or the great outdoors. Any Got any it. good good smell from the great outdoors. I like it. I uh I asked this yesterday with some people, and somebody said, oh, fresh towel out of the dryer. So I think that's probably very similar, that yeah. fresh, fresh, clean smell. Fill in the blank. Taylor Swift is? Amazing. <laughs> Good. You fall into one category or the yeah, other. Yeah, absolutely. You're in our category. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal. What movie can you quote the most from? Mm, maybe Pretty Woman, if you remember that way course, back when. Of course. Yeah. Um... Julia Roberts and mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Richard uh, Gere. Richard Gere. Yeah. God, that's. Uh, I haven't seen that a, a bunch of times. I've seen it plenty, um, but you've clearly seen it a bunch. It's a good one, I hear. Yeah, I actually don't like to watch movies like on repeat. Yeah. Typically, yeah, yeah. like one and done. I want to watch something new. Yeah. But I do know a lot of quotes from that movie. I am this. I I'm the same way now. Growing up, I loved watching movies over and over and over, especially comedies. Like, I would memorize them. Mm -hmm. I can probably give you word for word for 10 different comedies. And then you're instantly connected to somebody else who also knows all those quotes, right? Like, you're immediate we best friends. It's like sober people are immediate best friends. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. immediate best friends with somebody who can quote the same movies as you. That's right. Well, you, uh, so you grew up in Wisconsin. I did. And Wisconsin is the home of Marquette. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Marquette is where Chris Farley went to college. Yeah. And I can quote every every word of probably three of his movies. I love him. <laughs> I've met him. I love him. No way. Yeah, my mom worked with his grandma actually. No so way. what a great guy. Holy what cow. a quotable person for sure. Well, just for my own pleasure, give me some story on that. How how did that um, she, my mom is an occupational therapist and worked in a assisted living and yeah, his grandma, Alice Farley was one of her patients, no just the sweetest, sweetest woman. And yeah, I met him at the movie theater actually, just by accident. We just yeah. were in Madison, Wisconsin and walked out of the movie theater and he's very recognizable, sure. of course. So, that is um, amazing. ran up and fawned all over him and he was funny and sweaty and hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how we should be. Yep. All right. Last question. First live music concert and where? MC Hammer, oh, oh Madison, Wisconsin. God. Yep, yep. And not only did I see him once, I saw him twice, and I also wore Hammer pants. So, oh my God, I love that. So now you know I'm cool. I love that so much. <laughs> You're so cool. Hammer was like, you know, I heard stories about Hammer back in his heyday when he was the hottest thing on the planet. Like all the rappers, all the gangsters, all the guys that you thought were like hard and mean, yeah, all thought he hung the moon. Oh, like, he was—he like was too he legit just, to he quit. Was the man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's kind of a funny question because it doesn't really share anything about me. Like I, I don't necessarily identify with like MC Hammer was my first concert. Sure, but well, that's the point of the I question. I got to be there. Yep. You know, there's plenty of people that answer things that, I mean, that's the point. Like, right. I don't listen to that anymore. Like so many people are like new kids on the block. You right. Know? It was just like childhood. Um, all right. So let's get to know you a little bit more. Give us um, uh, just a little background. Let's do, obviously I, we could sit here for an hour and talk about, you know, birth to now. Let's do some highlights on 
what what has shaped you to this mm. point? You know, where are you mm -hmm. from? What kind of childhood? College? Yeah. Post college? I love it. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So yeah, I was born in small town Wisconsin, the drunkest state in America. I'll just say that. <laughs> my parents met in a beer tent. Yeah. Where else would you meet in Wisconsin? <laughs> um, I also met my husband in a bar, of course. Yeah, married yeah. over twenty years, but my I was the first child of divorce in both of my families, and I was under three years old when my parents divorced. And I'm the was the only child between my mom and my dad. Gotcha. So I think that was a huge factor for mm -hmm. me growing up, and what it turned into was my perfectionist qualities and people pleasing because I wanted everybody to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I wanted everyone to know that everybody was okay. Yeah. And by me being okay, which I think perfect, by me being perfect and well-behaved and getting good grades and not giving anyone anything to worry about is the role that I took on, I think, at a very young age, like at a toddler age. Mm -hmm. So um, I grew up and my mom remarried. And so I have a blended family. And my dad also remarried. And I went to college in Wisconsin, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and got a degree in social work, always wanting to help people. And very met my husband, as I mentioned, in a bar. And mm -hmm. we moved on to Chicago as young adults. Um, I drank my drinking career as I had my first beer at 12 years old. Nice. It seems alarmingly young, I understand. But me, in Wisconsin, Twelve was it was too. pretty regular. And so drank through high school mm -hmm. in barns, fields, anywhere I could, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then in college, upgraded to um, from barns to bars. <laughs> <laughs> and drank, you know, drank and, yeah, <laughs> loved to dance, loved to go out, loved to socialize. I surrounded myself with a lot of friends because, again, I identified as our only child for most of my life until I got a blended family. So it's just always had so much FOMO, always wanted to go out, always wanted to be hanging out with people and loved to dance, loved to chase boys, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So that was college in Wisconsin. I met my husband, and we moved to Chicago. He loves Chicago Bears. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but any Please, Packer fans out we there. We have the wor worst NFL <laughs> team in the league right now. And I loved Oprah, so Chicago <laughs> seemed like the perfect place for us. We wanted big city, and there we continued drinking, but we had a little more money because we had jobs now. Yeah. So we were going to Cubs games and concerts and dinners. and Living the dream. Living that young, urban lifestyle. So from there... Um, we got a house in the suburbs and had babies, yeah. right? So we decided that he would keep working and I would work part-time. I had moved from social work very quickly, realizing that if I didn't write policy, I wasn't going to be able to change the world in the way I wanted to. Uh -huh. So I moved to human resources, which I felt like was helping people in the workplace, a different, a different sort of help. Yeah. And so I got certified in HR, and most of my career, I've sold HR solutions um, locally, nationally, and globally. So that is my background. When the kids were young, my husband was traveling a lot, and those were the choices that we made together. But my social life came to a crashing halt, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And so that bedtime, bath time, dinner time routine was long, mm -hmm. and I was sipping wine mm -hmm. right through it to try to keep a little bit of myself. When I did work, I would want happy hours, anything work-related, you know, so I was probably like a drink pusher at mm -hmm. work just to give me an excuse to be able to go out and have yeah. a little bit of a social life. 
Um, that's my background. So my drinking really escalated when I was faced with the death of three loved ones three um, within three years. I did three eulogies. Oh, God. Yeah, one was my dad, and two were guy friends that were my age. Mm -hmm. Everybody left without warning. Mm. They were pretty tragic situations. Oh, no. And so I... This is where my drinking kind of took a turn from what was seemingly normal, even though I've known my whole life it wasn't normal. Sure. To a problem because I was drinking as self-medication for my grief. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. Because I did the eulogies and because I'm a perfectionist, I really wanted to perform and do a very beautiful job for them. Yeah. And I did. And then when the services were over, I told myself to get over it. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't allowed to feel it was over, just get over it. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty hard to get over my heartbreak. So I just tried to numb it out with alcohol and this sort of escalated. Gotcha. Okay. Lots of ways we can go, but I just personally want to ask, um, you know, often we hear stories about addiction to whatever taking a sharp turn for the worse after, call it a tragic, tragic event, but really in relative terms, just a painful event, mm -hmm. and that can be anything. Do you think it was the pain that you were so uncomfortable with? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because I had never learned to cope. Right. I'd never learned to cope with anything. I mm -hmm. always had alcohol. If I had my first drink at 12, I yeah. had always had alcohol. Yep. I literally didn't know how to cope with any feeling or life. I was actually still a toddler myself with mm -hmm. my emotions, mm -hmm. throwing a temper tantrum or whatever, and then just pouring alcohol on it. So mm -hmm. I did not know how to deal with pain yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and the reason, you know, I often get into the, the deep discussion on the causes of, of addiction and that kind of stuff. And there's, there's always this common denominator of, of sensitive people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, maybe you're born sensitive, maybe, like you said, you've just lived a life where you haven't had to deal with things that are super tough, mm -hmm. maybe because we drank over it, maybe just mm -hmm. because you haven't experienced them. But ultimately, what ends up is a very sensitive individual and one that doesn't withstand pain very well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am... I'm still that, right? You know, and and obviously you, I deal with it in 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 various ways, but it's not like if something tragic happens, I just welcome the pain and go through like you know all the processes of Bring grief it. just healthily <laughs> and you know do it perfectly. No, I suppress and I yeah. avoid and you know I do all those things because pain sucks. Yeah, absolutely. So fun fact is. Because I was a social work major, I took a test in college about my emotional quotient. And I'm a genius level emotional quotient, Love which it. my professor had never seen before. So wow. she was thrilled. But what that kind of means is it could be highly sensitive. I kind of like the word sensing, a highly sensing, sensing yeah. person. You feel everything. Because, yeah, I know what's happening in a room. I know how somebody's feeling. I do have a bit of a sixth sense about that. Mm -hmm. And I think it does maybe stun stem some from childhood and trying, overly trying to, to make the people the around me yeah. happy, yeah, yeah. right? So, and again, taking the attention off of me at times. So, no, I don't want anyone to worry about me. 
Mm-hmm. And at other times, I was also class clown, put the attention on me to take it off of somebody else. Mm. So always like other focused and not allowing myself even time or space to feel or mm-hmm. or be. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. God, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And alcohol is a wonderful numbing agent, it's, right? I mean, I would say it's probably the best. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we can talk about that in a second, but... Well, let's do. Let's dive over into the. I, I mean, I I often say alcohol and wellness, but what I really mean is just take a like heavy addiction and sobriety, and let's knock those aside for yeah. a minute, and let's go right in the middle, and just discuss alcohol in 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 its rarest form. Like what, you know, what does it do to us? How does it affect us? Why is it so? I hate to say valuable, but it is. Like it works. It yeah. really, really works. You know, and and. Further down in this conversation, I want to talk about the trends and that kind of stuff, but let's let's talk about how it affects us. Yeah, you know, yeah. How did it affect you in certain ways other than the addiction stuff? Well, so I always say it's a problem. It's a solution before it's a problem. It's meant to always. be a solution. That's why we're taking it, right? Right. right. So upon first sip, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I mean, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would be sitting here on this couch probably. But yeah, it hit something, and I felt good, and I felt free. And it gave me some courage to do things I wouldn't normally do. I mean, I would push my little f- high school freshman self into senior parties that I may or may not have been invited to. Yeah. Right. I mean, it takes a little bravery to show up at that yeah, barn door. No question. And so a little talk li- to the boy. Little, little liquid courage helped. <laughs> right. Talk to the boys. Yeah, yeah. Tell them what I really think. Right. So it gave me that courage. Um, it helped me belong. And truly, I didn't know any other alternative. Growing up in Wisconsin, the culture is so centered around alcohol. I didn't know any happy, sober people. Not drinking was never even a thought, an idea for me. I didn't know anybody. If somebody didn't drink. They weren't around. (laughs) Yeah, or it was because they had a problem with it. They got slapped on the hand. They didn't, they were living a sad life Mm -hmm. because they didn't, yeah, they didn't come to the party then or whatever that was, the celebration or so yeah. I didn't have it's any like discipline. Mm-hmm. And it was like, they're sad. You <laughs> yeah. know, they go to church basements and oh, shame on them mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. uh, attitude. So who, nobody would desire that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really didn't know anything different. It gave me a lot of courage. I liked it. And then when I got older, like for like when my kids were young, I had a really loud inner critic, always a really loud inner critic. And it dialed that down. It kind of shut that up. Yep. And so it was for me. Alcohol provided relief from myself, from being myself. And as we just mentioned, a highly sensing person, they're going to feel a lot of things. And that's a lot. Yeah. Right. So it dialed it down and um, it did its job. Yeah. Till it didn't. I think that's a that's an interesting way we can go is is I, th- I think a lot about 2023, 2024 and the culture of alcohol. And, and a lot of us in the work we do, specifically you and, and, and you know, my podcast and that kind of stuff, we're, we're, we're noticing some, some major trend shifts, mm-hmm. especially in the younger generations. There's less people drinking. There's less people being drawn into it. They, they're more wellness-oriented. They're more health-oriented. And I love that. But I worry a little in that none of us started out an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, you can draw it back to genetics and say, I've got a disease or whatever, all that stuff. But right. that, that stuff aside, nobody started drinking alcoholically or not, not, not many people. And so eventually 
You know, and, and plenty of us, you, for example, lived a pretty long life of no real severe consequences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do that. I know a lot of people that have drank their entire lives and by definition, alcoholically, mm -hmm. functioning, high paying job, family, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's some issues in there somewhere, but all in all, nothing too severe. And then a curveball gets thrown in their life, mm -hmm. like one you experienced, mm -hmm. where it is so overwhelming that you have nowhere to turn than more of what you've been doing for so long. Mm -hmm. That is where I worry a little bit about, you know, people often say, is this trend here to stay? Is it sustainable? Are people going to, is alcohol going to be the next tobacco? And maybe mm -hmm. still works very, very, very well. And I don't think people are just not drinking at all. I think people are just more conscious of it. And I worry about those curveballs that are inevitably coming. Mm -hmm. I just think the risk is still there. Yeah, so I... Talk to me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love to think that alcohol is not a necessary part of life. Sure. And so I love the that I've quit what our house looks like. Mm -hmm. And I've got teenage daughters. And I love what our vacations look like. Yeah. And my husband doesn't drink around me. So he basically doesn't drink. <laughs> right. So... We we are having more fun than anybody. Yeah. And so we're in the pool in Mexico, and we are literally having more fun than anyone. We're at the Pitbull concert. We're, you know, we're in the pit at Coldplay. We are having a freaking blast, yeah. and none of us are drinking. Mm -hmm. And I love to show that. And kids these days, Robbie, they're like, the girls, they're walking around with their Stanley Cups being hydrated and doing like a 10-step skincare routine at night. <laughs> this is not what I was doing in college at no. all, right? No. Right? No. So I do, I think the younger generations get it. And maybe they are going to yoga class. Maybe they're um, list meditating a little bit, you sure. know, maybe they're tapping into some of those things, other ways of coping that I wish I had known all along. Right. I'm hopeful, I'm, right. but I'm optimistic, you know? Well, no, you make a great point. And, and I'm, you know, I, it's my job to be a little bit of a devil's advocate just you. for conversation purposes. But I, I do try to look at, you know, some reality. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, but I love the point you made because there is a huge factor in early in life drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, you know, I often use the example of the people that I was drinking with at 12, 13, and 14 are all sober now. Mm -hmm. We're all, we were all had problems with mm -hmm. it. You know, you start in your 18, 19, 20, 21 years, mm -hmm. you learn how to cope a little better. You've got some tools before you start off. And so mm -hmm. it's, you're, I mean, the statistics show, the science is there, that the earlier you start, the higher probability of addiction later. Right. So... Great point. There's other things, though. Like, of we're all looking to escape pain. Sure. So, there's vaping now, right? That wasn't a thing. There's scrolling, you know, oh, yeah. gambling, like you name it. You can find a way to escape pain. Yes. Alcohol just might not be as popular. It was one of like fewer ways, perhaps, in the past, right? Yeah. Of options we had. Yeah. And now there's maybe a lot of options. There really are. <laughs> to escape pain. So, in it fact, doesn't have to be alcohol. I partake in a lot of them. Right? Yeah. I exactly. do a fair bit of scrolling. Well, let's do that. So let, what are the ways that people are, are, I hate to say substituting because that mm -hmm. sounds intentional and it's not intentional, especially in your younger years, you're just finding what's out there. And, and, I, and I do think technology is a massive addiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else? Vaping, I know. Weed is certainly one. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I don't even know what they all are, but any way to artificially raise your feel good chemicals, sure, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about um, just alcohol culture in general, because I feel like the work you do mm-hmm. and the work I do, we are trying to reshape that culture. We're trying to change that culture. We're trying to denormalize. Is that the right word? Is that a word? Denormalize? Hey, check. <laughs> Destigmatize. Destigma- well, <laughs> normal just Yeah, the normalization of, mm. you know, of of the negative consequences. That is such a major mm. part of the alcohol culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's talk some about about those. Like what is the alcohol culture? What does that look like in Wisconsin? What did it look like? Just drinking all the time everywhere for everything. Right. Sun up till sundown, right? And yeah. what a weirdo if you didn't. Drink, sure. Right. But for me, it was like there's also the mommy wine culture, of course. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I was often in my job the only female salesperson on all male sales teams. So there's a boys' club yep. drinking. Yep. And I also talk to workplaces. So drinking at work as part of the job, often drinking felt like part of the job, being in yeah. sales, right? Because yeah. I had access to the decision makers at a bar or a happy hour or a networking event that I might not have in the office. Mm-hmm. So drinking is the norm. When you're not drinking, then you're on the outs. And you're not drinking because something's wrong with you, not because mm-hmm. something's wrong with alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. And not drinking sort of is like shame on you versus congratulations, what a healthy choice. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. So that's what I want to change. If anybody says they're not drinking for any reason or season or lifetime, Congratulations. That's amazing. Good on you. Yeah. Right. It's a positive thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a very positive thing. Yeah. You know, I think a lot about the the normalization piece and, you know, go into the kind of college atmosphere mm-hmm. and all the things that are, are going on, you know, not everywhere, but in the in the party towns and the people that are partaking in that stuff. I mean, list na- list them off. Blacking out. Oh, yeah. Hung over as shit. Yeah, throwing up. Fighting. Yeah, sexual encounters that you wouldn't normally drink abuse. till he's cute. Uh, I mean, the, the, the... Falling down. The risky behavior. Frat culture. Frat culture, sure. I mean, bar culture, just yeah. in general. I mean, I guess you could call that frat culture, but I mean, just bar culture in general. But we see these images in, like, every movie that we watch. In every, oh, yeah. It's everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. Get the girls drunk. Mm-hmm. And guys do dumb stuff when they're drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody gets hurt. Yep. But we're yeah, but praising it. Right. It's normal. Right. That's the culture piece that I, and I know you, are trying to shift, is that normalization of terrible shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just, it's, it's fascinating now when you get to a certain point where you look at things and it's like, so... You know, speaking from from experience, massive screaming fight mm-hmm. with a girl, maybe even a guy. You know, go home, drink more, do something stupid, wake up, tell the story to a group of people. Everybody's laughing. Yeah. Go to class. You know, come back. Maybe you're the you're the talk of the house, talk among your friends because of something crazy you did the night before. 
do it again. And that is respected, yeah. normal, idolized. You probably have a bruise. You probably have a bruise from falling down. No question. And a couple of My them. Shins your your are entire body. Terribly would say. torn up. <laughs> yeah. And it's hilarious, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, what can we do? How can we shift that piece? Um, tell, what do you think? What comes to mind? I know what's coming to mind is that it continues through adulthood because there's holders for your drink in the shower. Right. And there's a purse that's full of wine. So, it's not just chi- like coming of age exploration, doing something naughty, doing something wrong, doing something away from your parents, trying something out, thinking it's funny. The funny is protection. That's the armor that we wear because honestly, we're ashamed and afraid mm-hmm. of what that might mean. I uh, People would tell me stories and I didn't really remember. It was pretty foggy from the night before, mm-hmm. right? What I did. And it was easier to laugh it off than to take an honest look at that. So it's just a piece of armor that we wear and collectively drinking has gotten so they've had to promote it so much, especially to women and mothers because that was an untapped market. Right. right? So we, you know, make parenting easy, make motherhood easy. You can do it all Um, or join in on the boys club or be this bottles are shaped like women's bodies, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. sexy and attractive and we all want that. Mm -hmm. So we all go to that. But what you're saying to denormalize it, like, that's not normal, right? Hurting right. yourself isn't normal. So we have to share another side to the story. Mm-hmm. And some people say to me, like, you don't want to become one of those, like, sober, like, preachers, like, being preachy no. about sobriety or anything. No. And I don't. But you know what? I would show my drink all the time. I would post my drink all the time. Why can't I share my sobriety with the same pride? And sharing my happy, sober life is honestly still, even as a sober coach, even though it's my career and it's my everything, mm-hmm. it's still half as much as I was promoting alcohol as a drinker, <laughs> right. right? But we are uncomfortable seeing that. Yeah. We can look at Bloody Marys and glasses of wine on the ocean, on a boat, all day long, yeah. right? But when somebody says, I'm sober, it's like, whoa, weird. Okay. Mute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What if we did away with the word sober? Yeah, because it sounds like somber. It sounds sad, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, and it's right. uh, yeah, totally. What would you What would you replace it with? God, well, the the point would be that you don't have to replace it. There shouldn't have to be a label, right? It's it's like drinker versus I don't not drink. drinker. You know, oh. just because I went to jail and have seven <laughs> DUIs doesn't mean I need to tell you that I had to get sober. How about I just, just like the person who is worried about their liver, we don't drink. Me and my buddy don't drink. Yeah. Well, that is what I say. So it's sort of the same as um, removing alcoholic. Same thing because you're, you're, it's, you're blaming the person versus the substance, of course, but Mm -hmm. also you're leading with like, I don't want to say your biggest weakness, but like your biggest challenge, perhaps your biggest struggle. We don't do that with someone anywhere else, right? Yeah. We don't say like, I'm Heather. You don't lead with, you know, anything. Yeah. You're just a person. Right. But if you are an alcoholic or if you are sober, you lead with that, which is just sort of interesting. Well, and it speaks to the, like you've said 
a, a, a couple times where it's abnormal to not drink. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you have to have an excuse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've felt this way many times, right. especially early when I stopped drinking. It was, I can't drink or I, um, I quit drinking. How about I just don't, I don't drink? That's what gives you the label, though. You're not drinking. You wouldn't necessarily be an alcoholic if you just kept drinking, right? When you quit, all of a sudden it's like, oh, something's wrong with him. Right, but we feel the need to explain it. Absolutely. And and, and often people in sobriety wear it on their sleeves and want want people to know that they're sober. Mm -hmm. And they shout it from the rooftops because they're so proud. And I I fully subscribe to that because I used to do the same thing. But it does imply a problem. And then there's a, there's other people that don't drink, not because they had a problem, because they chose not to. Right. So my point is, I'm just, I'm just, I feel like there's this, there's two groups. And we need to open the spectrum. And we should open it up. Yeah. For more options. And there's also, like I said, not drinking for a reason or a season or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And actually, a third of the population doesn't drink. I know. For lots of reasons, right? Whether that's religion or cultural norms or a stage of motherhood or a medication they're on or a fitness quest or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we're really excluding people when we don't have options for everyone. And it really shouldn't matter. And I mean, I love to say, oh, I love to drink. I just don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> I drink like a fish, I just do. not alcohol. <laughs> I do. I love to drink. I love to party. I always have three drinks in front of me. You yeah. know, I mean, I've had three drinks since I've been here. So <laughs> it's just not alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I drink a good bit of uh, mocktail NA stuff. And I don't know why. I try to, I often think about that. You know, it's. It's part of the culture. It, you know, it was such my identity for, for so long. I don't know. Maybe it makes me f- still feel a part of, I, I don't know. Yeah, a sense of belonging. Yeah. And just a ritual. The ritual for sure. Often people just want to keep the ritual and change the drink. And I love it. My, even my drinking friends get on board. You know, I always say, like, the the vegetarian decides where you eat and the sober mm. person decides where you drink mm-hmm. because I'll go anywhere. I'll go to any bar, brewery, whatever. If they have a drink for me. And if they don't, we're going somewhere else. Right. And I'm bringing 10 people with me. Yeah. So the places that are offering that are definitely getting my business. But we need it to be safe for people to explore, because also, as we talked about, when I started evaluating my relationship with alcohol, and that's what it is. It's just an experiment where you're evaluating mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Let that be safe to do without committing to a life without drinking forever. Yeah. Right? Okay. Have periods of time where you get con- you've tried drinking. Now you're going to try not drinking. Then you can kind of decide what aligns with your values, what feels good to you, and how do you want to continue. And you can do that without saying, I'm sober or I'm abstaining from alcohol from now until the rest of my life, right? Yeah. Or I'm not drinking right now. Oh, you're sober or are you an alcoholic? Those aren't fair labels for somebody who's just trying to evaluate this like you would anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to run a marathon, right? I'm yeah. trying meditation. I'm trying to remove gluten. See what that does for me. It's okay to experiment with alcohol too without declaring yourself any kind of label for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think when we do that, we're leaving people. I mean, for me, it was a barrier. It was definitely a barrier because I was, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And I didn't know how to describe it. And I didn't know who I was. And I didn't start this process of evaluating my relationship with alcohol 
with the goal of being sober. Right. I wanted to keep drinking. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Wanted to figure out how to keep, <laughs> right. how I wanted to. to drink the yeah. right way or whatever. Yeah. And that's how like most of my clients start, right? They want to mm-hmm. be normal drinkers is, is how they start. But once you remove alcohol, you start to recognize some of the ways that it affects you mm-hmm. and you start to feel better mm-hmm. and you start to see it for what it is and you might choose differently. And for me, I can honestly say I know alcohol was such a problem, not because of history or genetics, even though all those things might be there, because of how damn good I feel without it. Mm. Truly, like, some people would have no idea, right? Like, yeah, oh, as yeah. a drinker, being a non-drinker, waking up every day and feeling good, being really aligned with myself, spiritually, emotionally, physically, the whole thing, mm-hmm. it feels so good. Yeah. That I can see that alcohol was clouding everything that mattered to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that, and, and I, I so respect it, and I, but it, it, it interestingly was not my experience, and, 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 and I wish it was. Yeah. But there was such a, and I don't know, I mean, of course, years of therapy trying to figure this out, but, you know, what was it about me that, when I got when when I would go for short periods of time without drinking, I felt better in the sense that I wasn't riddled with anxiety and like just having that panic and the, the need for alcohol. But I still like did not. Maybe I just didn't do it long enough. Like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my moral compass. I like mm-hmm. I don't know what I liked, what I didn't like. I, I didn't. I didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. and that was scary enough mm-hmm. to make me. Go back to drinking. Every time I took a break, it was like, man, there's a lot of work that Mm -hmm. is ahead of me Mm -hmm. to sustain this. And that alone made that anxiety creep back up and the desire and the cravings, you know, increase. I feel you. I definitely feel you because I was so wobbly and, like I said, scared and afraid of everything. And I still probably am. But my head hitting the pillow at night, like I did it, I had like this little shred of... A relationship with myself mm-hmm. that I had never had. Yeah. So even when I felt alone in those social situations or unsure of a wobbly voice, unsure of how to explain myself, I started to be with me. I started to get to know who I was. Yeah. Have you gotten there since? I am 100% there. Yeah. But I think what age yeah. was a major factor there. Yeah. So when I was in my mid twenties, I could have cared less about me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know nor care, nor have any kind of relationship with any of that, that 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 cerebral kind of feeling, that spirituality stuff. Like that, that stuff was never a part of me back then. As I grew older, you get closer to mm-hmm. half of life, and then you're starting to say, "Wow, this these days are." I need to cherish these a little more. Then, yeah. then you start to seek a little more, and your journey becomes a little more uh, laid out in front of you. Whereas when I was young, man, I just was not thinking of that stuff. Yeah, I had to. I stopped because I had to. Yeah, I get you. I think I wonder too often, like, what was a what's age, and what was what's this journey? Yeah, you know, yeah, and how that goes together. But I was always a seeker for that, and I feel free without it. I was so anxious to have to have a drink always i mean i remember visiting my grandma and like having her stop at a bar in like rural 
Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So I could buy a bottle of wine. They didn't sell bottles of wine. But just, like, give me something just so I can spend the night with my grandma. You know, like, the need, or like I was a smoker, the need to always get my fix, to be free from that, which didn't happen in 30 days. Right. So that's another (laughs) illusion, right? You're probably going to feel tired and grouchy for 30 days if you drank Mm -hmm. like I did. Mm -hmm. But if you go longer, right, and there might be a shred of something that feels good. And for me, that absence of... That also brought me anxiety. Where's my next drink? How am I going to get it? How am I going to recover from it? How am I going to hide it? How am I going to... That created its whole own set of anxious (laughs) thoughts and behaviors. Totally. So what's the... uh, What's the message in in all that? Ditch the drink, man. Ditch the drink. (laughs) We're we're going to dive into that in a second. No, Um, I think... um, let Let yourself explore. Yeah. Let yourself explore without labels, right? And it's not always about drinking or not drinking. Learn to have a relationship with yourself. Yes. Yes. And tune in to you and start listening to you and burn through. Like these uh, coats of armor that we wear and alcohol is a mask too. Like for instance, if you go into a social situation, like a networking event, let's say, that's pretty cringy for a lot of people. <laughs> And it will be. I love the word cringy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It will be. Let yourself be a little cringy. The first 15 minutes of any gathering can (sighs) be a little nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. But after that, you know, you might settle in. So you don't have to run from yourself, I guess is what I would say. And get to know yourself. And for me, the the best path to to self-discovery was sobriety. I mean, that's what helped me develop a relationship with myself. So that's what sustains me here now. Yeah. 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 The, the, the getting to know yourself and the, and the appeal of that. I mean, that was, I guess that was my biggest hurdle was, you know, having grown up in a, in a household that was pretty riddled. Um, it wasn't the most pleasant of places, you know, I mean, I, I certainly got everything I wanted and, you know, externally and superficially, it was fantastic you know, emotionally and, and, and on a connection level, it, it was lacking. And so you mentioned the negative self-talk and that mm-hmm. inner critic, man, that, that guy was brutal right. for me. And so getting to know myself, that was who I was getting to know. Yeah. And I didn't like it. But I bet, I hope, you've changed that voice oh, to a voice of compassion And, now, and right? I'm talking years ago. Right, but know, that's what happened now, to you. Yes. And that's then what my clients say is like, your voice of compassion has replaced that inner critic. Absolutely. So you're, we're all lying to ourselves, too, if right. we hear ourselves, right? Yes. And you're not that inner critic. You're the voice that hears the inner critic. Yeah, I love that. So you can be the person that recognizes that and start to shift that. And it happens over time. And it happens really imperfectly, of mm. course. But we are able to do that. And it you live in your head, right? Make it a really nice place to be. Mm-hmm. And no matter where you're at, but if you're on this side of middle age, right? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful to to create a safe place for yourself, to discover yourself and explore. And I think looking at alcohol is a beautiful way to do that. Mm-hmm. I love you're not your thoughts. You're who, you're who hears your thoughts. Yeah, That's such a good one. All right, let's do ditch the drink. Let's 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 just promote the shit out of it. <laughs> so tell us how it started. Tell mm. us what it is. Tell us how to get involved. Um, I mean, I, it, we're we're releasing this in January. People are going to be dry Januarying. 
uh, and I know you offer some some stuff around that. Let's tell tell me all about it. Uh, thank you so much. I love talking about Just Drink, of course. Perfect. So I uh, started it because I was between jobs, and after I had quit drinking for a year, and it should be known that I didn't tell anybody but my inner circle that I quit drinking for a year. So I didn't start out as this bold, sober coach or anything. Mm -hmm. I started out scared. But I wanted to, I put together everything that helped me in my first year of sobriety, and I put it into a digital class. And I invested in this platform because I wanted other high-achieving women like me to know there was options. And I wanted to do it privately. I wanted to do it on my own, right, like a lot of people do. So I wanted to offer a platform for people to do that. So that's how Ditch the Drink started with my Jumpstart class. It's still there. I always think about updating it, but I go back. It gets such good reviews, and I go back and look at it, and I was so close to early sobriety myself. Mm -hmm. It's, like, special, you know, like, vintage (laughs) to, like, have been there wobbly but trying to teach people, right, and being so close to them. So so that's still there. You can take that six-week class. From there, I got trained and certified as a professional recovery coach Mm -hmm. and life coach. I got a certificate of well-being from Yale University. I got a certificate of law of attraction, all these things. Wow. Got certified. So now I also offer one-on-one coaching for people, which is beautiful. It's a package called Becoming. Mm-hmm. And with all my programs, I have a new thing to offer, and that's community. Community is something that came later in my journey, and it has made a world of difference, of mm-hmm. course, as you know, any, anybody knows. So mm-hmm. I have an insider community, and that is we do group calls twice a week. And there's replays available for those that can't make it live. And then there's a private online platform and there's master classes. So all of your favorite people wow. in the sober space um, are probably have a master class. Really? Whether that's on sleep or anxiety, yeah. a lot of the things we've talked about, overall personal development and wellness, um, that's all in there. And then now I have this beautiful thing where some of my clients have become coaches themselves. Mm-hmm. So I have a course to teach other coaches how to launch their business. Mm. Mm, God's work. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, it goes to my social work heart, yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, I had a serendipitous moment one time when I started this. I was working in a bonus room off my bedroom, which is a closet. Mm-hmm. And there I am at my computer working on, you know, ditch the drink. And I was remembering in third grade, I worked in a closet, my mom, I was like a latchkey kid, right? <laughs> and well, my, when I got home from school and I had to wait for my mom to get home from work, I worked at a business that I called Dare to Dream mm. from my closet. And my cat was my only client at the time, but mm. I wanted to help people Lucky live their cat. best lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, DTD, Dare to Dream, ditch the drink. This oh. is exactly what I meant to do. I so it's it. really, really beautiful. I love the path it's taken. Um, even though I had some success in my sales career, it never sung my soul like this does. So yeah. to wake up, do what I love, you know, I love to, I mean, I'm a helper, of course, yeah. right? That was all in my background. So it's been a really beautiful journey. If anybody is considering ditching the drink, give it a try. Absolutely. Get a coach, get some, get some support and get community. Well, reach out to ditch the drink. Reach out to ditch the drink. Oh yeah. And I got a dry <laughs> January challenge, of course. I Perfect. mean, I should mention this, but um, there's a, we often do challenges, but we are doing different types of challenges. There's prizes and giveaways and mm. all that fun stuff, but come do dry it. January with us. Just give it a try. That's how I started. I actually started with a 100 day sober challenge and I only made it to 70. 
mm-hmm. days, thought I was cured. And I love to say, like, that was, like, the best failure of my life because it eventually brought me here. Yeah. So, yeah. but it started with, yeah, going for 100 days and making it to 70. And then it's just learning. It's just discovery. Right? 70's pretty darn good. Yeah, it's good. It is good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this episode is going to come out in January, so it might be behind the the, the start date for a January challenge. Um, but I assume you do other other challenges as well, and you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And my sober date is actually February. So, go. and I think I do. There's lots of people that do dry January and stick with it, and that ends up being a date for them. But yeah. also, come in February. That's like my <laughs> personal favorite time. So you're always welcome at Ditch the Drink. Love it. Love it. D to D. D to D. I still think you need a big old tattoo of D to D. (laughs) (laughs) I can get it this afternoon. Not a tattoo Maybe after we eat. (laughs) Yeah. I know the spot. Um, Heather, this has been fantastic. I'm very honored you made the trip down here to do this. It really does warm my soul that you you found value in what we do enough to make the trip. Oh, it's so cool. It really is. It, it 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 is very meaningful to me, so I, I really appreciate that. I've got one final question that I think you may know what is if you've ever listened to our episodes, which I know you have, and it is, Heather Lowe, why do you care? Sharing your story, story seal, and sharing my story makes a difference. For me, it builds my confidence and shares my truth. Mm-hmm. So we all do, we all want to help other people, but we also want to help ourselves, Right. So that, but also it was hearing stories of other people that I admired. And if you can see yourself in somebody else, that might be the nudge to try something new or different Mm -hmm. or get help. So that's why I care. And I'm super grateful for your awesome platform. I Mm. love the Champagne Problems (laughs) podcast. I've been begging to come on, let's be honest. (laughs) I'm just a huge, huge fan. So to be a guest feels really special. And your studio is beautiful. And I'm so happy that I got to come in person. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 